share some really basic things, but they're good. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. The Apostle Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. You know the word ashamed is talking about an emotional response where you are timid, shy, embarrassed about something. And in Paul's day, the religious system had gotten to where it was so legalistic that they counted the number of steps that they could walk on a Sabbath day without breaking the Sabbath. Uh, Some of you may think this is crude, but actually the people that wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls, when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls and read their things, they're a group called the Essence. And these people were a fanatical group that uh, lived around the Dead Sea. Most people believe that they're the ones that raised John the Baptist when he went out into the wilderness. And these people actually had it in their writings that you could not have a bowel movement on the Sabbath day because that would break the Sabbath. That's how religious they were. And Paul was in that system. He actually used to be a part of that system. And the apostle Paul grew up in that. And they were very legalistic and condemning towards anybody who did these things. And of course, Jesus clashed with them many times. And he said that you're missing the whole point that the man wasn't created for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath for man. And uh, anyway, they accused him of breaking all of their little rules and regulations. And so this is the religious system of their day. And some people think, well, boy, praise God, we aren't like that. You know, we really are. It's just a different set of rules and they're sometimes uh, not obvious to us because we've been raised in them and we don't recognize it. This is one of the reasons that we uh, demand that to graduate from our college, a person has to go on a foreign missions trip because you would be surprised how putting yourself, taking yourself out of this culture and just... I mean, immersing yourself in another culture for a week or two and trying to minister to those people. It gives you a perspective on us that you don't have before. And I mean, it's a cliche in our Bible school, but people come back saying, man, that was life changing. And there's many things that change our life, but one of them is just to get out of our system and away from it. We are the most, we are some of the most religious people on the planet. And I tell you, we have a religious system today that if you go to preaching the gospel, it is not popular. You will be criticized for it. And so there are a lot of people today that are ashamed of the gospel, primarily because they don't know what the real gospel is. I'm going to be talking about that tonight and all of this week. What America has heard is not the gospel. I was talking to some people tonight And they were talking about that they felt called to minister to people right where they were in California. And I said, hey, you do not have to go overseas to find pagans, to find people that don't. I mean, they wouldn't know God if he was to walk up and shake their hand. We have plenty of people that don't know God right here. And in America, people have not heard the gospel. Religion has not preached the gospel. This says that the gospel 
is the power of God unto salvation. And the reason that we have not been seeing the power of God manifest in people's lives is because they haven't heard the gospel. Religion will not release anybody from bondage. Matter of fact, the root word of religion, if you look it up, the root word that was translated religion, like in James chapter 1, it means to bind. That's what the word religion means. It means to bind. It doesn't set you free. Religious traditions and doctrines of men make the word of God of none effect. And America has not heard the gospel. Most people in America have not heard the gospel. They've heard religion. And people are not turned off to God and to the gospel. They're turned off to religion. I know that those are some big statements and some people think you have no right to be saying that. But as I talk this week and share with you the gospel, Romans is Paul's masterpiece on the gospel. I tell you, most people, Romans isn't one of their favorite books. You know why? Because they don't understand the gospel. And as they read this, it's just so confusing because it goes against our traditions and the things that we've been taught. But Romans is one of the foundation truths in the Word of God. I tell you, if you don't have a good understanding of the book of Romans, you do not understand the new covenant. It is that essential. I heard a statement back when I was a very young Christian and a man said, if you could learn the first eight chapters of the book of Romans, it would transform your life. And I took that as a challenge. And I studied the book of Romans for at least 15 years before I felt like I really began to even understand it. And I'm still getting understanding. I'm not saying that I've got it all, but I mean the book of Romans is something that is completely contrary to our religious system today. They may take a passage here and there, but they will not teach through the book of Romans because the book of Romans is anti-religion. It is against all of this performance-based Christianity that we have today. And uh, the gospel is explained in the book of Romans in just a masterfully way. So this is where he kind of starts into the whole thing. He came in a religious system that was persecuting him and doing all of these things. And he says, I'm not ashamed of telling people the gospel. So what is the gospel? You know, the Greek word that's used there, I won't even try and pronounce it, but the Greek word that is used here is... Uh, it means good news or the good message is the simple definition of it. But actually it's more than that because I've studied this and there are only twice that I was able to find outside of the Bible that the, the, this Greek word was used in all of the Greek literature that we have available to us today. It was an obscure word. It did exist, but it really meant more than just good news. It was talking about something that's nearly too good to be true news. It was a hyperbole. It was talking about something that was so wonderful and so awesome that nobody ever used the word because there isn't anything in this fallen world that is nearly too good to be true news. So Paul came along and he took this word that did exist but was hardly ever used and he started using it to describe what Jesus did for us. And today we have the word gospel. People use the word gospel all of the time and it's become a religious cliche and many people don't even have a clue what the word gospel means. But it's talking about good news, really news that's nearly too good to be true news. And let me just submit to you that what religion is preaching today is not good news. (laughs) Telling a person that you're a sinner, you're going to hell and then you say, that's the gospel. 
That's not good news. That's certainly not nearly too good to be true news. And yet there's people today, there's entire denominations that think it's the gospel to say, there's a heaven and there's a hell and you're going to hell. Sin separated you from God. Sin's got to be paid for. God's angry at you. I was in a church one time in Toledo, Ohio, and a guy got up and gave a prophecy. And he says, God's angry. God's upset. (laughs) He was just blasting them. And he got up and prophesied in the name of the Lord. And after he sat down, I said, that is not God. That is not true. God is not angry. God's not upset. You'll hear religion today say that if God, if America doesn't repent, God's going to destroy America. God's the one that causes the tsunami overseas. God's the one that caused the hurricanes, the fires, the, uh, all of these tragedies and stuff. And this is the judgment of God. I remember when the earthquake hit San Francisco and part of Los Angeles and they said that this was judgment on the pornography industry. I guarantee you, if God's judgment, there is coming a judgment at the end of the church age and there is going to be a judgment on those who will not receive the Lord. But if God was going to start judging America, he wouldn't stop with Los Angeles. He would have judged Las Vegas. He would have judged Phoenix, Dallas, Chicago, New York. We all are deserving of the wrath of God. When God's wrath comes, you aren't going to have to guess about it. (laughs) Right now, we are living in an age of grace. And yet there's many Christians saying that God's judging. God is punishing America. God's going to get you. That is not the gospel. That's not good news. And that's not releasing people from bondage. It's putting people into bondage. Now, some people, I'm going to explain this more, so please stick with me. But some people right now are beginning to disconnect, thinking, so you're saying that it's okay to sin. That's not what I'm saying. There's a million reasons not to sin outside of God judging you. Sin is just stupid. You're stupid if you're a sinner. You're giving place to the devil and on and on. We'll be talking about some of these things. I am not saying that sin doesn't have consequences, but I'm saying it is not good news to preach that holy God is angry at you and God is going to judge you if you don't repent. That is not the gospel. It's not the gospel to say, well, Jesus died for your sins. That's not the gospel. That's a part of the gospel. It's an important piece of information. But let me even clarify it more that the gospel is specifically talking about how do you receive what Jesus did for you? To tell a person that here's God, here's man, Jesus died for your sins. All of those are true statements. But if you say, and you have to be holy and you have to change and you have to live up to this standard. And unless you pray and study the word and unless you do all of these things, God won't bless you. That completely destroys the gospel. The gospel is specifically talking about how do you access all of the things that Jesus did. And if you put the burden upon us, upon the individual and say, it's on your part, you've got to do these things to make yourself worthy. Then that is not good news. Because even if you try the hardest that you can, and if you live as holy as you can, I can guarantee you, you're going to come short of the glory of God. You are going to make a mistake. None of us are perfect. 
All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the moment you make us the one that has to do something to be worthy to receive these things that Jesus did, then you have just cheapened the gospel. You've changed it from good news to bad news. You know, I've used this illustration before, but if I was uh, prosperous enough that I could come to you and just like deposit a million dollars in your bank account. And then I tell you that, man, I just put a million dollars in your bank account. Would that be good news? Would that be nearly too good to be true news? But what if I said, and all you got to do to get it is just be holy. Some of you would think, man, for a million dollars, I could be holy. (laughs) But you know what? You can't. Especially if I was like God and I had access to your thoughts. And it's not only your actions that are wrong, but if you hate in your heart, it's like you committed murder. If you lust in your heart, it's like you've already committed adultery. If I had access to your thoughts and I was going to monitor you and say for one year, you have to be holy and then that million dollars is yours. Did you know instead of that being good news, that would torment you. You might try for a while and then you would just eventually, every one of us would fall short and we would, we would hate ourselves for failure and we would hate, you would hate me for dangling this in front of you and asking something of you that it was impossible for you to give. And if, say for instance, you fail, so I move to the person next to you and say, I'll put a million dollars in your bank account and I start making the same deal and you've got to be holy. And for one year, you can't sin in action or in thought. If, if you heard me doing that same deal, you'd step in and say, don't believe him. Don't even try. Don't go through the agony because you will fail. And then you're going to come under all of this condemnation. See, in a sense, that's what's happening with religion. We've had a lot of people that religion is saying, oh yes, there is a God. And oh yes, Jesus died for your sins. But then they put the burden of receiving that upon your actions and upon your holiness and you've got to be holy. And there are people that get on the treadmill and start trying to perform and be holy enough to earn God's favor, but they fail and they mess up. And after a while, they just feel like I'm a hypocrite and they throw in the towel and they give up, not because they don't believe that there's a God, but they just know that I can never measure up. I'll never be good enough. And so they fall by the wayside. I've heard a statistic. I don't have any way of knowing if it's true, but I've read that 70% of all spirit filled Christians do not go to church. And I don't know if that's true, but I believe that it's a, I believe it's a large number. I wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't 50%. I bet you if I was to ask right now out of these people right here, how many of you have a church that you go to and and attend on a regular basis? We'd be shocked to see how many people don't. Sometimes you don't have an option, but in most cases there are churches. They may not be perfect, but you have places that you could go and be a part of. But you know, one of the reasons for that is because people at one time were zealous. They saw what Jesus had promised and all of the things that he provided, but they were under a false gospel, a performance-based gospel, which isn't gospel at all. It's not good news, but they were taught that you've got to do these things. And so for a while, they thought I can do this and they got to seeking the Lord, but then they fail. 
and they don't read the Bible as much as they should and they get mad at their mate and they fail in some area and because of that, they allow all of this condemnation to come on them and after a while, they just give up and it's not like they don't believe that there's a God, but it's just, it's so frustrating. What can I do? I can't do enough to please this God and there's people that turn against that and it's really not God that they're rebelling at. It's this performance-based Religion, that is not good news. The good news, the nearly too good to be true news is that it's not what you do for God that makes you accepted with Him and that makes you receive from Him. But it's what Jesus did for you. And the only thing you've got to add to it is faith. You either believe and receive or doubt and do without Over in Romans chapter 5, I'll get to this later, but let me just jump over there. It says in verse 2, it says, By whom we have access by faith into this grace. The way you access God's grace is by faith. That word access right there is the same word that we get our English word admission from. The way you gain admission. You know, if we would have charged for this conference then you would have had to pay an admission and you would have to gain admission to get in here. Well, the admission price for the grace of God is just faith. It's not your holiness. It's not your works. You just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did and you receive from God because of Jesus and not because of yourself. And so when we're talking about the gospel, it's specifically talking about how do you receive these things? And again, the religious system today will mention many of the things in the gospel. They will say that Jesus died for your sins. They, you know, there's certain segments that don't believe that in healing, prosperity, deliverance, and things like that today. But even among those who believe in those things, they may say that, yes, Jesus heals today, but if you got sin in your life, God won't heal you. If you've got unforgiveness, God won't heal you. God won't move. And they start making it proportional to how holy you live. And that's not the gospel. They may mention that, you know, there's certain segments like God can heal and do this, but then they will tell you that the way you gain access to it is by your actions. You know, many of you have heard me say these things before, but it's, it just bears repeating. But I would suspect that the vast majority of you that have come to this conference believe in the supernatural power of God or you wouldn't be here. You'd be satisfied with just your church and you wouldn't be looking for anything else. Most of you are stark, raving, mad fanatics that came to this thing. You believe in the supernatural power of God. When I talk about my son being raised from the dead, you believe that. You believe in those things. And if somebody fell over dead here tonight, and if I said, oh, I've seen people raised from the dead, I believe God can raise somebody from the dead. How many of you believe God can do it? Most of you would be right there with me. That's why you're here is because you are fanatics. You believe in those kind of things. So you don't doubt that God can do it. But if I was to say, all right, if you believe it, you come down here and you pray for this person. All of a sudden, your faith would turn to dread Your excitement would turn to fear. What happened? Did you quit believing that God could do it? No, but when you insert yourself into this thing, 
We live with a sin consciousness. We live with a performance-based thing, thinking, have I fasted enough? Have I prayed enough? Have I done this? Maybe some of you had an argument on the way to the meeting tonight, and you're sitting there with a defiled conscience, and immediately, it's not that you doubt that God can do it. You doubt that God is willing to do it because we have not believed the gospel. We have believed that it's based on our performance. You know, when I stand and tell people about my son being raised from the dead and we talk about these miracles that the healing school is seeing and things like this, and you start talking about this, people just think, you, you don't look holy enough. I've had people before say, God, I, you can't tell me that God would use you like that because they think that if you've seen somebody raised from the dead or if something has happened, that you just must float on air, that you aren't like the average person because they think that you've got to be holy to have God do something like that. I want you to know God's never had anybody qualified working for him yet. And you aren't going to be the first one. God doesn't use me because I deserve it. God doesn't use any of these prayer ministers because they got everything together. It's because we've learned to look beyond ourselves and tell people about Jesus and what Jesus has done. We pray in the name of Jesus and not in our own name. That's the whole reason that we say in the name of Jesus. That's become another religious cliche. And people will sit here and say, oh, Father, I've fasted and I've prayed and I'm doing better than I ever have. And I know you're going to use me now in the name of Jesus. You just use the name of Jesus in vain. You took it in vain because you're sitting there saying, Father, because of who Jesus is, and yet everything you said was based on how holy you've been. That's wrong. God doesn't use any of us. And see, this is how Satan comes against us. Satan cannot successfully discredit God. There's some people that try and ignore God and Forget him and do all these kind of things. But you know, you put a gun to their head and the atheist will cry out to the God they say they don't believe in. The truth is everybody knows there's a God and they know that they aren't him. And they know that God by definition can do anything. It's not that they doubt God, but people doubt that God will move in their life because your own conscience condemns you over your actions. And you see somebody on stage and you think, well, you've got your act together. If you knew me as well as I knew me, you wouldn't have any more faith in me than you got in you. (laughs) I have to pray in the name of Jesus. Some of the greatest miracles I've ever seen happened when I didn't feel a thing and when I had not been doing things right. And actually, you know, when Paul said, when I am weak, then am I strong. You know, there's times that I've stood in front of people before and man, I've just been praying and seeking God and I've seen things happen and I come in and my confidence is really in me. And I'm thinking, God, I know you're going to move tonight because man, I've been praying and seeking you. And you know what usually happens? It, It doesn't work very well. But when I mess up and I come in here saying, God, why would you ever choose to use me? And then he just reminds me that I don't want you to tell him about you. Tell him about me. Pray in the name of Jesus. And when I'm weak in myself is when I see the greatest miracles happen. That's when I see things happen. When I'm standing here thinking, I've really got it together. Father, in the name of Jesus. 
I'm using the name of Jesus in vain. But when I stand there and say, Father, I don't deserve this. I can't minister to a person that's in a wheelchair. I can't help them. It's got to be you in the name of Jesus. That's more faith. That's faith in him and not in me. So the gospel is specifically talking about how you receive the things of God, not just about the existence of God, what he did for us, but how do I get it? And if people are telling you that unless you're holy, unless you're doing these things, God won't move in your life. If you've got sin in your life, God won't use you. That's not the gospel. Look in Acts chapter 20 and verse 24. Paul was talking to a group of pastors. He had called the leaders of the church of Ephesus together. And this was a pastor's conference. And he was talking about all of the persecutions that he had endured. And I'm jumping right into the middle of it. But he said in Acts chapter 20 and in verse 24, But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel. There's that word which means the nearly too good to be true news of the grace of Christ. He used the words grace and gospel interchangeably. If you aren't talking about the grace of Christ, if you aren't emphasizing, if you aren't preaching on grace, you aren't preaching the gospel. If people are standing up there and saying, God's angry at sin, you're a sinner, repent or else, turn or burn. That's not the gospel. That's not grace. Man, if you stay here all week long, I hope that you come back. And if you come back, I'm going to say this so many ways and I'm going to show you so many things that contradict our religious system today that you'll realize that people haven't been hearing the gospel and this is why they don't have power. The gospel, it is the power of God unto salvation. If you're lacking power for healing, for joy, deliverance, prosperity, anything in your life, it's because you aren't focused on what Jesus has done for you. Or you're focused on what he's done, but thinking I've got to be worthy before he'll release it in my life. You aren't focused on the grace of God. The gospel and grace are interchangeable. Also over in Galatians chapter one, look at this verse. And again, the same thing happens. This is the same writer, Paul, that, was, that wrote the book of Romans. And he said in Galatians chapter one, in verse six, he says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. So he's talking about that the grace of God is the gospel of God. And he says, you've left the grace of God, the true gospel for another gospel. And the next verse says, which is not another. In other words, what people are calling gospel today, there was people in Paul's day that perverted it. In the context, he was writing to the Galatians and he's the one that brought the gospel to the Galatians. These people were Gentiles. And they believed on the Lord Jesus and they got saved without becoming a Jew. And they were walking in the blessing and in the joy of the Lord. And then some Jews heard about the Gentiles and they said, well, it's wonderful that you put faith in Jesus, but you also have to fulfill the Old Testament commands. 
Specifically, one of the main ones he talked about right here was circumcision. They had to be circumcised. They had to do all of these things. And the Jews came down and said, unless you start keeping these laws, Jesus isn't enough. You've also got to do this. And Paul, the book of Galatians is making the exact same points that the book of Romans is making, but Romans does it in kind of a scholarly way where it just lays out all of these truths in a real scholarly way, answers every single objection a person could ever have, and it's, and it's just kind of nice. Galatians is brutal. I mean, it's brutal. Over in the third chapter of Galatians, you foolish Galatians. One of the translations I read said, you stupid idiots. And that's basically the point that he's making. He said, who beguiled you? Talking about you've been bewitched. Somebody, it's a demonic spell cast over you. And he gets so strong in the fifth chapter. He says, if you are trusting in your own works, Christ profits you nothing. And these were two people who had made Jesus their Lord. And yet Jesus can become of no effect unto you. It can get to where it profits you nothing. You know how you do that? By putting yourself in the equation and saying, well, yes, Jesus died for me, but it's also dependent upon me. It's like you make yourself a link in the chain. And if you are one of the links in the chain, if you've got to fulfill a certain criteria before God is going to use you, then I guarantee you, you will fail every time. You will break this power and you will not see the power of God manifest. If you could get beyond yourself and recognize it's not about what I do. It's not my holiness. It's not me. It's what Jesus did for me. It's grace. If you could do that and if you could totally, like it says over in Hebrews chapter 12, uh, 10 verse 2, that you should have no more conscience of sin. No more sin consciousness. Get to where you don't even think about sin. Some of you right now, you just went tilt. If you were one of these pinball machines, you just broke right there. I mean, you just tilted and like most people don't even think it's a godly thing to not live with a sin consciousness. Christians have been taught that this is a godly thing is to go around talking about how unworthy you are. Every time they pray, they enter in and, oh God, we're so unworthy. We come before you so humbly. We don't deserve anything. You know what? We've been taught that that is a godly attitude. You do have to come to the end of yourself. You do have to reach a place where you realize you can't save yourself and you come before the Lord like the uh, publican said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And you do have to come to that place. But then once you receive salvation, you need to go beyond that place and step into who you become in Christ and recognize that I in myself am nothing but in Christ and through Christ, I can do all things. And you have to get rid of this unworthy attitude and quit focusing on your unworthiness. Instead, focus on the grace of God who provided all of these things for you. You know, here's another definition that'll really help you. Mercy is not getting from God what you deserve. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. And so all of us deserve death. And death doesn't only mean physical death. That's the culmination of it. Or I guess that's not even the culmination. That's from the physical point of view 
that might be the ultimate, but even after you physically die, then death is eternal separation from God. Every one of us deserve that. And sickness is a form of death. Depression is a form of death. Poverty is a form of death. Anything that came as a result of sin, anything that's a wage of sin is death, is Romans 6.23. So depression, discouragement, marital problems, all of the things we deal with are results. They're death that came because of sin. Ultimately, it leads to physical death and then eventually to eternal death and separation from God. And every one of us deserve that. But it's mercy that we don't get what we deserve. But grace differs from mercy because Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Grace is getting all of the goodness of God that you don't deserve. And you know what? There are some Christians that have come to the place that they understand that God is merciful to them. And they believe that just because God is good, they may not go to hell. And they aren't fearful that they're going to be punished and go to hell, but they have never entered into the grace of God to where they believe that they've gotten all of these awesome things from God because they don't feel worthy. They may feel like they have mercy from God, but they don't understand grace. They don't understand that God has given them everything that he is and everything that he has just because he's good, not because you are. It's all available to you. That's the grace of God. And God's grace is the gospel. Grace and gospel are interchangeable. And the moment you start talking about you have to do something to become worthy, then you have to quit talking about grace. Grace can also be defined, I think it's the Strong's Concordance defines grace as the unearned, unmerited favor of God. If it's unearned, if it's unmerited, then that means that you don't have anything to do with grace. If you have something to do with it, then it's not grace. If you have to be worthy, then that means that you do have to earn it. That means you do have to be worthy. That's not true. God commended his love toward us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Romans chapter 5 verse 8. The Lord commended his love toward us while we were still sinners, not when we got our act together, not because we had been doing something right. Man, there's so many examples. The woman taken in the very act of adultery and she was brought to Jesus and Jesus extended mercy and offered grace to her, not only not giving her the judgment. According to the law, this woman had to be stoned to death. And if you didn't stone her to death, you could be stoned to death. And so the Pharisees thought they had Jesus because if he stoned her to death, then all of his preaching about mercy and grace would be voided and the people would leave him. But if he uh, extended mercy towards her, then they could kill him because he broke the law by not stoning her to death. So either way he went, either decision he made, they thought they had him. And of course, the wisdom of God, the foolishness of God is better than the wisdom of man. Jesus was more than able to deal with it. And he just said, he that's without sin cast the first stone and nobody could cast a stone. They all left. He wrote something on the ground and you know, the scripture doesn't say, so this is just total andeology. I have no way of knowing what Jesus wrote. 
But I believe he was probably writing down something like, you know, Zacchaeus. You know, he knew their names and he wrote down and probably wrote his mistress name right beside it. And then he wrote somebody else's name and he wrote, you know, maybe their parents' name, how that they had taken their their money that they were supposed to support their parents with and said, well, I dedicate it to the Lord. He used that as an example. And he was doing something that caused these people's conscience to convict them and to show every one of them that they were not without sin and they all left. So Jesus extended mercy by not judging her. And then he turned around and he says, has no man condemned you? And she says, no man, Lord. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus extended mercy and then gave her his love. He just not only didn't punish her, but he gave her his love. The woman who came and she was an adulteress, a harlot, and she washed Jesus' feet and wiped the, uh, with her tears and then wiped that off with her hair. And the Pharisee judged Jesus and says, if this man was really a man of God, he'd know what kind of woman this is that's anointing his feet. And Jesus showed what a great man of God he was by instead of judging her, he found the Pharisee's attitude. And he said, and he told Simon, he knew exactly what Simon was thinking. And he said, who do you think loves God the most? The one who's forgiven a little or a lot? And he says, well, I guess the one that that gives, forgives a lot. And he says, this woman, you know, has done a lot, but she's been forgiven and she's washed my feet with tears. She's wiped them with her hair her sins, which are many, are forgiven, but you are trusting in your own goodness. And he didn't accept Simon. See, that's, that's the gospel. It has nothing to do with your performance. He extended mercy and grace. He's, it's not that God loves people who are just out living in sin greater. He loves people that aren't hypocritical and aren't promoting their own holiness. I believe that the only sin that is totally, totally unacceptable is the hypocrite who trusts in himself, the sin of self-righteousness. And sad to say, this is what our religious system has been building today is self-righteous people thinking that you've got to be holy. And they don't preach holiness the way the Bible does because the Bible says in James chapter 2, verse 10, that if you keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, you become guilty of everything. Religion, see, won't preach that. Religion just picks and chooses certain things that they think that you can fulfill. They'll say that the women have to put, pile all of your hair up on top of your head and not wear makeup or something like this. You know, I had a woman come up tonight and she was a Hutterite and she got hold of my teaching and was set free of that. And she's a real pretty lady and and I said, man, I bet you, you look different than when you were a Hutterite. And she showed me a picture and I couldn't even recognize her. And I said, man, Jesus is the best thing that ever happened to you. <laughs> but there's some religious systems that believe that you gotta, you know, you can't put any makeup on. You gotta do all of this stuff. Man, if your barn needs paint, paint it. If it needs two coats, give it two coats. God doesn't care about all that stuff. Somebody's saying, well, what about the scripture? It says it's not supposed to be the plaiting of the hair and the wearing of gold and the putting on of apparel over there in, in uh, I guess that's 2 Peter, 1 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3. 
What about that scripture? Well, if you're going to take that verse, what about the last part that says, or the putting on of apparel? Is this forbidding you to wear clothes? No, it's just saying don't focus on the outward stuff. Don't make it the way you fix your hair. Don't make it all of these things. That shouldn't be the focus, but it's not forbidding those kind of things. Did you know actually the word modest or moderate, the scripture says that women should live modestly. Did you know that that word modest there is the word that we get our English word moderate from? It means moderate. Moderate means in the middle, an average. You know, if you're wearing clothes that they wore in the 1700s because of your religious system, you are not modest. You're extreme. Those people that believe that your dress got to be all the way to the ground and your cuffs all the way down here and all of this stuff, they are extreme. They aren't modest. They're extreme. Thank you for those one or two head shakes. <laughs> Some of you haven't looked at it that way, but see, if you would study the word, the scripture is just saying, don't make it about the outward person. Don't put all of the emphasis on the external. Let it be the hidden man of the heart. God looks on your heart. It doesn't matter about all these things, but see, religion comes along and I've actually known people that they don't care if you go out and commit adultery on Saturday night if you get drunk, if you do dope, if you do anything, but just be at church on Sunday morning and pay your tithes. God's not like that. God's looking at your heart. And you know what? He, he's, he's not impressed by all of this religious stuff that we go through. He just wants somebody in a pure heart to come to him and admit that, God, I've sinned. God, I can't save myself. Thank you for Jesus. And I thank you that by grace, you're making everything available to me. And you put your faith in what Jesus did for you and not what you do for Jesus. You can't be looking at yourself and Jesus at the same time. That's like, you know, looking this way and then trying to look in an opposite direction at the same time. We don't have eyes on both sides of our head. You can't look this direction and look this direction at the same time. You can't be looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith, and at the same time focused on yourself and you've got to do everything just right or God won't bless you. You're either looking at yourself, your faith is in yourself or your faith is in Jesus, but it's not a combination of the two. Romans chapter 11, verse 6, which I don't know if I'll get that far into the book of Romans, but it says in Romans eleven six. It says, and if it be, a, uh, I may have to read that to you. Have you got that, Ryan? And if it be by grace, then it is no more works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. That sounds confusing. That's old English. But all it's saying is it's either grace or it's works, but it's not a combination of the two. You can't mix the two. And religion has mixed these two. You know, if... If it's, if the religion preaches the gospel at all, they will preach it when it concerns the initial born again experience. They will tell you that you can't save yourself and they'll sing the song just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. And people come to the Lord living in the midst of adultery, lying, stealing, They've just been living a terrible life and they hear the gospel that God loves you 
and they come and confess Jesus as their Lord and they get born again. But then they go to church. Now, I'm not against church. I'm for church. Church is the body of Christ. It's a godly thing. But I tell you, I don't even know the percentage, but I wouldn't be surprised if 50% or more of churches are doing more damage than they're doing good. There are good churches. I was at Lawson's church yesterday. Man, I love the church service. It was awesome. I went home telling Jamie that that was just powerful. There are good churches, but you, the average person gets born again by grace, putting faith in what Jesus did. If somebody was to walk up to him and say, well, you've been living in sin. I saw you at the bar last night. You know what? If they heard the gospel, that wouldn't keep them from being saved because they'd say, that's the reason I need to get saved. I need to put faith in a savior. And that their sin wouldn't keep them from receiving. They know that it's by grace and it's not based on their performance. And so they believe on Jesus and they receive the greatest gift of all, which is the forgiveness of their sins. But then if they go to the average church, they're going to walk in and they're immediately going to have people start saying, all right, now that you're born again, you got to start coming to church. You need to pay your tithes. You need to study an hour a day. You need to do this. You need to do this. You need to get involved in church. And they start putting all of the things. And the person said, well, uh, I thought that Jesus just loved me the way I am. Well, unless you do these things, unless you start reading, God's not going to answer your prayers. Or possibly a person will have, you know, the joy that comes from experiencing the love of God because they just open up and receive it as a gift. And then they go to church and they, you know, they wake up on Monday and for 30 years they've been singing, you know, Monday, Monday, can't trust that day. And they talk about how bad blue Monday and it just is a part of their mindset. And so before they even know it, even though they've been changed on the inside, their mind wasn't instantly changed and they just get into a funk and by Monday night, they're discouraged and they, they can't understand what I, I, I was so happy yesterday. I got born again. It seemed like everything was better. And now it seems like I'm back. What's wrong? So they go to the person that led them to the Lord and sad to say, many of them will say, there must be sin in your life. And you say, well, I thought Jesus forgave my sin. Oh, he did. But now, unless you get rid of this sin, unless you get it confessed and under the blood, you may go to heaven, but he won't answer your prayers. He won't heal you. You aren't going to have joy. And they just start putting them back where they were. You know, I was raised with this uh, track called the four spiritual laws put out by Campus Crusade for Christ. And there's a lot of good things in it. I'm not totally against it, but they, they show uh, man over here on this one cliff and God over here. And they show this huge gulf between God and man. And they show man's attempts to try and bridge that gulf with their own good works and stuff like this. And they show every single attempt falling short. And then they put a cross in between in, in this huge gulf. And they show that now man through Jesus, through what Jesus did on the cross, can come over here and be reconciled with God. And you know what? That's good. And so they show people that. And so people pray the prayer. But what I'm saying is they use grace to receive salvation. 
But then if they get discouraged or if they pray for something, don't see it come to pass, and they go back and ask the same people that use that, they'll say, well, there's sin in your life. You know what that does? That just erases the cross and puts you back over here. And here's God. And you mean I'm separated again because of my, I thought Jesus forgave my sin. Well, he did up until the time you confessed it, but you've sinned since then. And they say, well, what did I do? And most of the time they don't even have an answer. Well, we all sin. You just sin every day. I had a friend that one time he got up at the eight o'clock service and he, he was preaching along these lines. And he said, how many of you have sinned today? And there was a thousand people at church and every hand in the place went up and his wife was sitting on the front row and her hand went up. And he said, what did you do? I want to know what you did in between the time we got up and I came to church when you, what did you do? What did you sin? And she said, well, I don't know what I did, but I just know that I'm always sinning. I'm always coming short. How many people are laughing at that? You know what? This is how most of us live. You just live with a sin consciousness and you know that you just sin all of the time. I'm telling you, you don't sin every day. You don't sin every minute. You don't have to live that way. See, when you do that, it's just like erasing the cross. You put you back over here and and now you got to be born again again. And if you're one of these that doesn't believe that you lose your salvation every time you sin, well, then what do you have to do? Well, you got to grovel in the dirt and you got to pay for your own sins and start doing penance for all the stuff that you've done. I had a man in Dallas, Texas come to me and I was preaching this same message. And he came and pulled up his trouser legs, showed me his knees and he pulled his, uh, rolled his sleeves up and showed me his arms and he had scars, just terrible scars all over his knees and his elbows, forearms. And I said, what's that from? And he was in Mexico and as penance during Lent season, you know, there are people that actually get crucified. Sometimes they'll come down before they die. There are some people that'll stay up there and physically die for their own sins, thinking that this will appease God. And this man's penance was that he crawled three miles over broken pieces of glass and pottery to do penance for his sin. And there's many people here in the States that do a similar type of thing. During Lent, you have to give up something. You have to pay something to atone for your sin. That is a slap in the face of Jesus. For you to have to pay for your sin cheapens what Jesus did. It's saying that Jesus didn't pay enough. He only paid a down payment. You've got to make the monthly payment. That's no good. That's no good. Jesus paid it all or he didn't pay anything at all. The moment that you start interjecting your goodness in and it's because you've been doing this that now God is going to move in your life, you have cheapened what Jesus has done. You can't be looking at Jesus and yourself at the same time. You can't have confidence in Jesus and in yourself. You've got to get to where your total faith is in Jesus. And if your total faith is in Jesus, then if somebody died, you would be just as strong as anybody else to come up here and pray for him because you've got the name of Jesus. 
Jesus is the one who, you're getting it through him. That's when you say in the name of Jesus, you're saying because of Jesus, because of what he did, because of his righteousness, none of my own, but because of Jesus. If your faith was truly in Jesus, if you were operating in the gospel and focused on the grace of God, you can see the dead race because it has nothing to do with you. Only thing you contribute is faith. And of course, faith is based on knowledge. If you never get into the word, if you don't renew your mind, you aren't going to have the faith to be able to do this. But you have, all, all you got to do is just believe on Jesus. It's not based on your goodness and your worthiness. Man, that's awesome. That's awesome. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And salvation is more than just the forgiveness of sins. Salvation is talking about healing, deliverance, prosperity, joy, peace. Anything that Jesus purchased for us is a part of salvation. Forgiveness of sins is a part of that, but it's not all. Jesus died for your body. He died for your finances. He wants you healed just as much as he wants you saved. Jesus would no more want you to have sickness than he would want you to go out and live in adultery. Jesus doesn't want you to be poor any more than he wants you to murder or steal. He died to set you free from those things. And so you have to hear the truth before you have faith for this. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So there's many people that haven't heard the truth about this. And again, religion has taught us that no, all he did was forgive you of your sins. And then he can heal He can prosper. He can bless. But those things are optional and you never know if God's going to do it or not. That's not the truth. He's paid for everything. Everything is completely done, but you have access into this grace, everything that Jesus has provided by faith. You have to hear the truth and that's what sets you free. And brothers and sisters, you know, there's other people. Arthur down here, man, he just preaches the gospel. He's a great, great preacher, all of them. I mean, everybody that we have in our school. The thing that makes what's happening in our school and in our ministry is changing people's lives. It's just the simple gospel. Telling people about what Jesus did for them and how you access it by faith instead of by performance. And it's setting people free. We are seeing people's lives changed all over the world. I got a man in Uganda that was, uh, had cancer, a huge old tumor on his neck. And he got hold of these truths and got healed without going to the doctor. This man has now discipled over 300 pastors. He has seen multiple pastors, uh, see people raised from the dead. I've lost track of how many people we've seen raised from the dead in Uganda through people hearing the gospel. One woman who was named Grace, who David meant Grace, when we were over in Kasasi, Uganda, and boy, she was anything but a Grace person. She was a legalist to the max. And she thought she had to earn the power of God. She believed in the full gospel. She believed in miracles, but she felt she had to do things and be holy. And so one of the things she did, she only ate two meals a week for a year. And this woman was down to about 60 pounds, nearly dead, but she was doing it to try and move God, to get God to anoint her. And she was a legalist and condemned people. She had about 120 people in her church 
And if a person smoked a cigarette, she'd tell them, you're going to hell, and she'd excommunicate them out of the church. If they drank a beer, she'd kick them out of the church. If they cussed, if they did anything wrong, she was just so judgmental. And her church went from about 120 down to about 20 or 30. And then she started coming to our discipleship evangelism course run by Pastor Francis, the man who got healed of this cancer. And he started teaching her about the grace of God. This woman found out the gospel and found out it's not her fasting and prayer that moves God. Man, I'm talking as fast as I can and I'm, I just can't say enough about all this. But there's a purpose in fasting, but it doesn't have a thing to do with God. God doesn't love you more, move in your life more if you fast or if you don't. Fasting changes you. It changes your heart towards God. It doesn't change God's heart towards you. And anyway, this woman found out about the grace of God. She started going to the people that she had condemned and apologizing and saying, I'm sorry, I wasn't preaching the true gospel. And she started apologizing and saying, Jesus loves you. And I'm sorry, would you forgive me? People started coming back to her church. And her church grew back up to 120 or something what it was. And then one of the people in the church died. And in Uganda, they do wakes over there where they'll put the body in the house for a week or two. And they have parties and friends come over and they just talk about the person and things like this. And this goes on for a week or two. So anyway, this person died and the church was over at somebody's house and they were having this deal. And so Grace just kind of slipped out and went into the room where the corpse was. And 20 minutes later, the corpse got up and walked in <laughs> to where all of the people were. He'd been dead for two days. And Grace talked to me and told me that this gospel of grace had changed her life. And her church, last I heard, and this is a couple of years ago, was running over a thousand. I think it's around 15, 1600 people. You know why people are coming and things are happening? Because it's the gospel. The gospel is the power of God. People are sick and tired of religion, but they aren't sick and tired of hearing of the goodness of God and the grace of God. They haven't heard the gospel. When you hear the gospel, I guarantee you it's nearly too good to be true news and it'll make you excited. It'll turn you into an instant fanatic. Hearing about the grace of God. The grace of God is the power of God unto salvation. If you need healing in your body, you need to take your attention away from yourself and trying to deal with everything in you that has made you unworthy. And you just need to go to putting faith in the gospel and believe that Jesus healed you because he bore your stripes, not because you were worthy of it, but he just did it by grace. He commended his love towards you in that while you were yet a sinner, he died for you. In that while you were still having problems in your life, he died for your healing. If you could take your attention off of yourself and quit letting your own sin consciousness hold you back, I guarantee you every one of you could see the dead raised. This is not just for the super dupers as Wendell likes to say. It's not just for the full-time professional Christians. Jesus said in John 14, 12, these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They shall, excuse me. Well, that's a great verse. That's Mark 16. That's a great one about uh, these signs will follow them that believe. 
They will speak with new tongues. They'll take up serpents. They'll drink any deadly thing. It shall not harm them. They'll lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. But what I was thinking of is John 14, 12, where it says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. All you got to be is a believer. It's not just apostles. It's not just prophets, preachers, full-time professional Christians. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus, you have everything that Jesus is, all that he has living on the inside of you, and you have the access to it by grace, not by performance, not by giftings. Now, there are special gifts. That's a different thing. But every believer can go lay hands on the sick and see them recover. Every one of you can see the blind Eyes open, deaf ears open, the dead raised. Some of you don't believe that. Some of you believe it's possible out there somewhere when you grow and mature and become holy enough, but you don't believe that it's available to you right now just for believing. You think that's too simple. But that's exactly the way it is. If you could get your attention off of yourself... And look beyond yourself and focus on Jesus. You can receive anything you need because of Jesus. And not because of you. That's nearly too good to be true news. But that's the gospel. Jesus has paid for it all. And he's making it available to you totally free. Free on your part, Jesus paid a tremendous price. But on your part, all you got to do is just believe and receive. Man, that's awesome. And again, there may be some people in here tonight who are saying, well, man, I, you know, I think that most people understand that. They don't. They don't. It's like Paul said, we use that verse over in Galatians where he says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which isn't another, but it's a perversion of the gospel. Did you know we live in a society that has perverted the gospel? They've prostituted the gospel. And because of it, it's, it's harder to get people to see a perversion than it is just something that's a total rejection. You know, if I was in another country where, say, for instance, it's the Muslims or something where it's all about you live holy and if you steal something, we cut your hand off and and it's all of these rituals. Man, those people, they are quick to understand that what they've got is not the gospel. But religious people in America think that they've got the gospel. I tell you, it's not the gospel. It's more deceptive. It's more subtle. But it is not the gospel. We have not been preaching the gospel. The gospel sets people free. It's the power of God. It'll heal your body. It'll prosper you. It'll cause you to have joy and peace. And I tell you, we need a gospel revolution. We need something to change people's hearts because most people aren't hearing the gospel. But man, I'm going to be talking about this all week long, just trying to expound on what the gospel is. And it's, you know, the scripture talks about the manifold grace of God. The word manifold, like on a car, you have a manifold means that there's many different, uh, you know, outlets of the, the exhaust. You, each one of those eight cylinders, you have a manifold. 
It means that it's many faceted. There's many facets to the grace of God. There's a lot about the grace of God and most of us just don't clearly understand the grace of God. And so this week I just am going to be talking about the grace of God and looking at it from so many different angles that I believe it's going to help us to see areas where we've been deceived and we've been operating under a performance-based relationship with God. And once you get into the grace of God, it just causes joy into your life. A person who's depressed, I'm going to say some things that I'll explain later, but a person who's depressed, I guarantee you, is not focused on Jesus and what Jesus has done for them. They're focused on themselves. They're focused on their circumstances. They're looking worst case, but they aren't thinking godly. They aren't thinking spiritually. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. The Lord will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon him because he trusts in him. I guarantee you depression, discouragement, fear is an indication that you aren't in the gospel. If you were focused on Jesus and what he's done for you instead of what you have to do for him, you wouldn't have worry and care about stuff because Jesus is never going to miss it. He'll always come through. It'll always work and you can have security and peace. And even though the whole world is falling apart, Jesus is still on the throne and he's not worried about how he's going to pull this off. If you're worried about the future and all these things, it's because you're looking at yourself and your own resources instead of looking at things through the eyes of God. I tell you, Jesus is the antidote for whatever hurts you. But you just need to start accessing Jesus and everything that he has by grace and not by your own performance. You know, if there's anyone here tonight who doesn't know Jesus personally, I have preached the gospel to you, that Jesus died for your sins, but it's not only he died for your sins, he's offering forgiveness and right standing with God, not based on you making a deal with him and say, God, if you'll save my life, I promise you I'll never do this and never do that. No, he's just offering it to you By grace, he's offering you everything on an unearned, undeserved basis. All you've got to do is believe. It says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. There's a lot in that verse. It's more than just mouthing the words. You have to make Jesus your Lord. That doesn't mean you'll never sin. It doesn't mean you'll never make a mistake because you can't fulfill that. But it does mean that you are turning your life over to him and to the best of your ability with his help, you're making him Lord. You're trusting him. You're looking to him instead of to yourself. And the Bible says if you'll do that, then you'll be born again. If you haven't done that tonight, that's the very first step in accessing the grace of God is to quit trying to earn salvation on your own and make Jesus your Savior. Receive everything through Jesus. And then once you're born again, Jesus told his disciples, even after they were born again, he said, don't go anywhere, don't tell anybody, don't do anything until you receive power from on high. And they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And when they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, these timid, weak people became powerful. Within just a matter of days, the people that had crucified Jesus, took knowledge of the disciples and says, man, they've been with Jesus. The Holy Spirit will give you power. 
And the Holy Spirit brings many things, but one of them is speaking in tongues. That's not the only gift, but in the Bible, when people receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they spoke in tongues. And not just known tongues, like on the day of Pentecost, but they spoke in the tongues of men and of angels. 1 Corinthians 13, 1. And there is a language that when you pray, it's your spirit prays and it bypasses your brain and it builds you up. It allows the Holy Spirit to just flow through you. It's like finding a switch and flipping it and it just turns on the power of God. Speaking in tongues is a powerful, powerful thing. And so salvation and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which includes speaking in tongues, is something that every person in this room needs. If you are going to manifest this power of God, you need these two things. And I tell you, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is much more than just speaking in tongues. One of the things the Holy Spirit will do, He will teach you all things. He will lead you into all truth and He will bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I've spoken to you, John 14, 26. So the Holy Spirit is just essential for you to understand the gospel. For you to get this, it's counterintuitive. It goes against your natural thinking. You need the working, the ministry of the Holy Spirit to help you to understand and receive things from God. So if you don't have one or both of those tonight, the very first thing we need to do is pray for you because I I tell you, you aren't going to go anywhere until you receive Jesus as your Savior. And then after you're saved, you need to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They aren't the same thing. I was taught that salvation and receiving the Holy Spirit all happens at once. And there is a a ministry and a a presence of the Holy Spirit when you get born again. But, But there is a difference when you receive power from on high. Uh, In the Bible, it's different. I can show you examples. I'm not going to teach on that right now, but there are are separate experiences from receiving salvation and receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Somebody's probably sitting there thinking, so do I have to speak in tongues? I believe I can receive the baptism without speaking in tongues. You know, I do too. Right now, I'm not speaking in tongues and I've got the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit doesn't force me to speak in tongues. I can speak in tongues right now if I want to, but I'm not going to do it because the scripture says I need to speak in a language that can be understood when I'm in front of people. So I can speak in tongues. I can control it. And if you choose not to speak in tongues, it's possible for you to have the Holy Spirit and not speak in tongues. But why would you want that? It's a gift from God and it's powerful. It releases the things of God. Somebody, well, it's the least gift. Man, no gift from God is bad. Man, if you can't receive the least gift, what makes you think you're going to receive any greater gift? I'm telling you, you need to speak in tongues. Somebody, why do you, do you have to speak in tongues to go to heaven? Nope, you can go to heaven without speaking in tongues and you can get there quicker because you aren't going to have any power. Jesus said you receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. So I'm not saying that it has anything to do with whether God loves you or anything like that, but receiving the Holy Spirit will affect how you love God. Man, the love of God is shed abroad in your hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is given unto you. Romans chapter 5. So if there's anybody in here tonight who needs one or both of those, if you have never made Jesus your personal Lord and tonight you're ready to receive the gospel, the good news that he's already 
forgiven your sins. Now will you just receive it as a gift? And if you've already been born again, but if you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues, I'd like to pray for you and help you to receive. So if you haven't received one or both of those, would you just raise your hand so I can pray with you and help you to receive that? If that's you, I want you to pray. lift your hand right where you are. Be bold with this. Amen. I see a few hands, but there's bound to be more. Some of you are probably thinking, what are you going to do? I'm going to give you a free book and we're going to pray for you and bless you. I don't have a church for you to join. I'm not asking anything from you. We're wanting to help you. And some of you may think, well, I'm not sure about this. Well, I am. I'm absolutely sure. If you aren't sure, you ought to take somebody's opinion who is sure. There's probably some of you that see me on television and because I don't act like a typical Pentecostal and scream and yell and have a towel up here to wipe the sweat away and say, glory to God, duh. You didn't realize I was baptized in the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues, but I am. And some of you are disappointed thinking, oh man, I didn't know you was a tongue talker. You like the fruit, but when I tell you the root that produced it, you say, oh, I don't like that. You need to get over your prejudice. I'm telling you, it changed my life. And it, amen. How many of you in here have already received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues? Look at this. Whether you know it or not, you're in one of those holy roller meetings. They are going to talk about you for being here, so you might as well get something for it. Amen. So, you know, if you raised your hand, or if you were supposed to raise your hand and didn't do it, would you just get up out of your chair and come forward? And we want you to stand here and we're going to pray for you and help you to receive. So, if that's you, just get up.